Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Black Relations. I'm your host, Dr. Francesca Fajimi. If you've ever had any dealings with Blacks, you have a Black matter, so this is for you. Together, let's begin to shape and reimagine our Black relations. Whether you are Black, white, or brown, trust me, you will learn, gain, and execute just by listening. Come along. Our guest today is Janae Adams, an international speaker, author, and the CEO of EMAC Consulting. Janae is a financial wellness expert and author of several books on the subject. She's spoken on behalf of the White House and the Department of Education. Her advice has been featured on Forbes, BBC, CNBC, Huffington Post, Black Enterprise Magazine, Fox Business, USA Today, NPR's Marketplace Money, and many other fine media outfits. Janae, thank you for joining us on Reimagining Black Relations. Thank you for having me. Janae, please tell us a little about yourself, where you were born and where you grew up. Yeah, so I was born and raised in North Carolina. Uh, I went off to school in South Carolina. And so that started my journey to kind of venture out. I went to work after college in Indiana for about three years and then came back home to North Carolina. And so once I came back home, that's when the adventure started with my finances, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, And once I moved back with my job, my job decided to, you know, lay me off. And that's where the $50,000 of debt came in. And that is what led me to the business I have today. So I was just fine being in corporate America, but now I actually have my own business, which I enjoy a lot. That is awesome. So now, when you were growing up, was it predominantly white neighborhood, black neighborhood, or was it mixed? No, it actually was all black. So uh, we we that part of uh, the city that I grew up in was all black. That was the black part of the city, and you know it was a lot of older individuals, a lot of families, you know, mother and father homes and so forth. And that's where I definitely grew up in as well. So I am actually going to write an article about it, the actual Black Wall Street, and this being an example of it, the city that I grew up in, um, a great example of it. So it definitely was all Black. Yeah. Wow. I want to read that article because I've read a few things about the Black Wall Street and I think a contemporary version of it would be awesome to read as well. So I think it should be fun. So what was the benefit and drawback of growing up in such a neighborhood? Uh, I think the big benefit was that everybody knew each other. And, and so all the children would come out and play every parent knew each other's parent every parent knew every child so you couldn't get in trouble at anyone's house because you're going to get in trouble there and then you're going to get home and get in more trouble and so it just taught you discipline it taught you how to have you know great behavior around your elders it taught you respect for your elders and it just taught you independence as well like it was nothing for us to just walk 10 minutes down the road, 10, 15 minutes down the road to the candy store and those kind of things. So it, it just was a great, you know, raising as far as that neighborhood that I stayed in. How about drawbacks from living in such a neighborhood? Um, I, I would say the only drawback probably was adjusting when I went to high school. I went to high school at it was mostly a predominantly white 
uh, high school because I went there for tennis. And but it did have Hispanics, it did have Asians as well. So it was kind of going into that melting pot in high school and adjusting to music that was different, cultures that were different, people, you know, I, it was a Greek festival every year <laughs> that I never knew existed in the city, those kind of things. Um, that was the only drawback I seen, but I was able to adapt pretty quickly, uh, even with living in the neighborhood that I lived in. That's great. Now, thinking about your younger years, if you have to relive those years, what would you like to do differently? Let's see. What would I have liked to have done differently? Probably would have learned even more about my culture, um, even more than I did growing up because I was just all over the place. <laughs> it just, it, it, it was really about what was cool at the time instead of just like what was before, the history of it. I was just what whatever was in the now, whatever music is in the now, whatever my culture was in the now. But you need to know where you come from, not only from the city that you come from, but the country you come from, the other country that you originated from, your family originated from. I needed to know all of that. And I think that would have made me a lot stronger individual when I got to college. Definitely. Knowing your roots definitely grounds you in who you are and your identity. Right. That's awesome. Now, Janine, can you share a personal memorable experience on racism or discrimination that maybe you've experienced? I, I would say the one time that I can definitely remember is when I was smaller and we, we went to a Denny's restaurant and it was me and my friends. Like it was our families too, but I, our parents had came in a little later than us. Like we rushed to go inside and, you know, try to get us a seat and everything. And it was like, please wait to be seated. And the the waitress, not the waitress, the hostess just kept overlooking us and overlooking us and overlooking us. And then my mom came in and seen what was going on and she just went nuts. Like, how dare you? Those kind of things. And, and believe it or not, I have not eaten at a Denny's probably just once since then. And that was because I had to. Um, so they they have been known for that kind of stuff um, in the South. And so that was just the the pretty much the main one that I can remember during my lifetime. Yeah. Wow. What a loss for Dennis. I mean, over a lifetime. And it probably will not just be you. Maybe there are many other that decided oh, yeah. not to visit them anymore. So obviously it does have influence on you as you grow up. So let me ask you, if you have to recommend some solutions to bridge the what you've witnessed and what's going on in our world today, to bridge the impact of racism and discrimination, what would those recommendations be? Um, I think it's... Uh... It, from my line of work, which I deal with personal finances, it's just understanding that we all have something in common. And a lot of times it's money. <laughs> a lot of times it's money. And I, I recently watched the movie uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. And that is one thing where uh, Fred Hampton was able to bring people together was everybody had a struggle with money and he brought them together, like every race together, because we have this common goal. And it was even, you know, he brought in the Ku Klux Klan. Like you can get them to come in under all of you all, like under a rainbow. You obviously know the power of finances and everybody struggle together. And the same thing with Martin Luther King, what, what I think he was, you know, of course the racism part was very important, but I think, what really brought forth the assassination um, attempt, which I have written about, is at the time he started bringing in races together under income inequality. And, and, and he was actually there for that when he got killed. And so I really think that be able to bridge the gap 
with, you know, it's about racial wealth. Like the trying to close the gap there is going to be able to bring more people together and not eliminate racism because you always just have humanity. <laughs> but it can, you know, you have seen it with Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. You have seen it with Martin Luther King. It can be done. And, and you see the threat that it was, you know, when they did it. So obviously it's something there. If we can even bridge that gap only, right? I think yeah. it can close some other gaps as well. So tell us a little bit about how we can actually do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's about helping everybody understand that people are not your enemies, okay? (laughs) People are not your enemies. And you're letting maybe one group who has a lot of money pitch you against each other. And I think that's what was seen with um, Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. This group who has the money and the control was pitting the they low income or limited income and middle class against each other. And because of that, they can never rise together. But once they came together and rose together, that's when it became a threat. So I think that it can be done even now. And I think we have seen it in like the last year, like people have really banded together. Like it's really about our income. We are not making enough money. Okay, we're not making enough money. Our neighborhoods are not where they should be. Our schools are not where they should be. And we all in the same school together. No matter what color we are, we all here in the same, you know, vicinity of this city and we all struggling. So like we need to come together. It's more of us than it is of them who are controlling everything. How do we get everyone Mm -hmm. to do more with their finances? Yeah, I think social media has a big part of it. We're we're all on this all the time. We're all on our phones all the time. And being able, those people who are like me, who know about personal finance, sharing what I know, and then those who see it and say, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Let me share it with my family and friends. We can reach each other and reach the world a lot faster because of social media. Things that you could have told one person, you know, in your home that may have not gone anywhere, may have gone to two or three people. Now it can go to a thousand in an hour. And so I really think social media is the answer right now. You can just reach so many more people and get your thought process um, across and the tips across. Like I just shared something before we got on and it's already went out to about 2000 people. So that I think that's where it is right now. Social media. That is amazing. So what did you learn while growing up about financial wellness or what was it that you think was missing? that you now learned when you grow up? Uh, I think what was missing is just being able to talk about it more. Like my, my family talked about it, but not to the extent that I talk about it today. And it might've been, you know, just a lack of knowledge, but I, I had to be observant. And I, and I always tell young people that I speak to be observant of what's going on. If you see your parent or parents um, maybe arguing about finances, you, you just happen to hear it. Then guess what? Maybe you shouldn't be asking them for uh, that toy. Okay, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be asking them for it to go out to dinner three times a week. They there it's hard for parents to say no, but as a young person, I don't care if you're even in elementary school, you can sense that and say, okay, I maybe I need to just sit back because it's about family and so forth. So I think growing up, what I didn't see as much as them, you know, putting it out there like this is what's going on. And I think that that would help out a lot of families and especially children if parents would put that out there and say, we can't do that right now. No, we can't go to vacation this year. We need to save money instead of trying to please, you know, the children and, and impress people outside the home. So do you think that is something that parents need to do differently, Black parents, or do you think parents, period? 
it's parents, period. The country we live in <laughs> is just a country that we're trying to impress everybody. And that, in my personal opinion, I think that has a major reason why the student loan debt is where it's at is because parents haven't been able to say no. They didn't say no when you were younger. And when you say, I want to go to this dream school that's thirty dollars or $40,000 a year, they don't say no again. And then they wonder why you can't buy a house once you graduate or invest and everything. It's because they didn't say no. You are the, at the time you're 17 years old, you're still a child. You don't know what 20, 30, $40,000 of debt is a year. You can't even fathom it. So as parents, you, you, I think that's what it is, is being able to say no is, is what is missing and has been missing for a long time and has to be corrected. So how did you learn this valuable lesson? It was definitely from being in $50,000 of debt. Um, I, I can't say I was saying no, <laughs> not, not no to myself at all. So I'm not going to sit up here on a high horse like I knew what was going to No, I, I found out being $50,000 in debt and didn't find that out until I lost my job and I had a one-year-old at home. So the world came crashing down in one phone call. And that, that's where I started to learn it. And so I took the two years to pay the debt off. But in that two years, I learned the power of no. To be able to say no to family members, say no to friends, and most importantly, say no to myself. Because that, that's going to be the hardest person that anyone can say no to is yourself when it comes to money. Wow. How did you overcome it? How were you able to do it? I mean, I'm just curious because, I mean, I have three kids. I have all these thousands and thousands of dollars in school loans, you know, some on my neck, some on theirs as well. And, um, you know, I think many of us are still in that position, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I tell people all the time it's about understanding that it's about the why and not really the how, uh, because people definitely always ask me, how did I do it? And it was the why behind it. And just being able to put what your dreams are in front of you. So I have this something called a dream sheet that whenever I speak in front of audiences around the world, we always complete the dream sheet first because it's their why. And they don't know why they're doing it until later. (laughs) And they're putting there, they're like, this is, and the, the dream sheet is basically, what would you do, where you would go, or who would you help if money was an issue? So what would you do? Where would you go? Who would you help if money didn't matter at all? And so they're writing that down in their short-term, intermediate, and long-term dreams. And what that does is that it keeps you going uh, when things get hard. So when you need new breaks and you got to spend money, okay? When when the student loan payment pause stop and you got to start making payment, people have to start making payments again, it's going to help people keep going because they can see, okay, this is what I see on the other side of whatever the tens of thousands of dollars of debt are. And what's so great about people now that I didn't have is that there is a possibility that $10,000 of federal student loan debt is going to be forgiven. So that's the kind of things that people can really look forward to is all these new changes that are coming around. How would this benefit Black people more so than any other group? Because we know Blacks are heavily disenfranchised and marginalized. But in a more holistic way, how can they begin to reap the benefits almost immediately? Yeah, so I'll talk about African-American women and Black women in general. It's the most educated (laughs) group in America, but we're also the most in student loan debt. 
Okay. So although we're the more educated, we may have the better jobs, we still have more debt. So being able to get out of that student loan debt quickly is going to make the money that you have coming in from those better jobs than your mother had and your grandmother had work for you. And then end up helping you build generational wealth, the generational wealth that they may not have been able to build because of redlining or because of the lack of the GI bill that their husbands and so forth have. Like everything that was wrong in the past that we're still feeling the effect so getting out of debt and especially student loan debt quickly and using your income that you have because you have a better job than anybody before you can end up closing that wealth gap a lot faster. And so African-American women, Black women in general can be the key to that, but so can Black people also. I mean, anybody, us, us men and women, Black men and women right now have better jobs than we've ever had in our families before, but we also have more debt. So the key is to get out of the debt, use the money that you are blessed with to be able to build that wealth. So tell us a little bit about the wealth. How do you build the wealth? What exactly is the wealth? Yeah, so definitely being able to, and wealth is just options. I I tell people that all the time. It's not about having millions and millions of dollars. It's about having options. And so that that wealth can be being able to spend more time doing what you want to do, starting that job that you want to, you know, that you've always wanted, starting that business you've always wanted, traveling the world. That's wealth. But in other terms that people are talking about, being able to contribute to your 401k fully every year or your 403b fully every year. If you are self-employed yourself, (laughs) you know, the self-employment plan each and every year, that's building wealth real estate portfolio, paying your house off fast so that you can buy a rental property and have that money coming in. It's so many things to build wealth, but understanding that it's about financial freedom and the peace of mind that money can bring because it's bringing choices and options so that you don't have to deal with anything that you don't want to deal with. That's what I love about it. I don't have to deal with nobody's stuff. I don't have to deal with nothing I don't want to deal with. If you stressing me, goodbye. (laughs) <laughs> when I when I when it was time for me to start my business and I didn't like my career anymore, goodbye, because I don't like being here. And those kind of things. That's what that's what financial freedom brings to people. Yeah. So if you're looking at a room or hall full of people mm-hmm. that needs to hear this message, black people in general, yeah. uh, adults and uh, younger ones, how would you approach them, talk to them for a few minutes. Yeah. And so I definitely will approach them from the dream perspective and just what do you want the most out of life? I always ask people like, what do you want the most out of life? And it it doesn't matter if they're in elementary school, high school, college, if they are 70 years old, I tell them all the time, like, what do you want? As long as you're still breathing, you can have what you want. I said, Colonel Sanders started KFC in his sixties. So it's never too late. And being able to talk to them that way and talk to them through their dreams. That is the only way financial getting to financial freedom works. If you're talking to someone about they need to cut back on this and cut back on that, and they need to save money here and they need a budget, it is not going to work because nobody's interested in that. But they are interested in traveling the world. They are interested in helping that grandmother retire from that job that she doesn't like. They're interested in things that are bigger than them. And so that's how I would talk to people like what is bigger than you that you can have if you were able to control your money and then be able to build wealth. That's awesome. I love it. What do you think is standing in their way from doing exactly that now? Yeah, I think it has to do with knowledge. 
Um, that's that's what it is. It, it's, it's knowledge. And, and people always say, uh, I use financial literacy. That's just what people know. And people are like, why you use financial literacy? It means they're ignorant. No, it's just two words. That's it. Like you don't know. You, you don't know about how to take the money that you have each and every month and make sure that you have more of it each and every month. Because you're sitting there and you're just seeing numbers and you're like, okay, let me get cable. All right, let me go get this car. You don't know. And so if you had the knowledge to realize, okay, I bring in this amount of money, I'm spending this amount. How can I lessen the amount of money I'm sending out so I have more money coming in? And once you show people just simple, and it's always simple. Like whenever I sit down with people one-on-one and I get finished with them, I was like, man, that was pretty easy. I was like, it is. It is, but I'm paid to help you see how easy it is so you can do it. But I think a lot of times it's like help people get their head out the sand. We we just don't want to face it. That's what it is. Once you get your head out the sand and you are facing your, your financial issues head on, you'll be so surprised how easy it becomes and how fast it goes. But you have to be able to take your head out the sand first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the initial step is always the hardest, right? Yes. You know, it so it's, it's really about getting ready for that very short time frame to get through the initial hump and then smooth yeah. sailing from there. All right. Exactly. That's great. Janae, is there anything you would like to share that I've not asked you on this subject? I think it's very important, but I just want to make sure they, they, you're covering everything you would like to address. Yeah. And I, I would just tell people all the time, uh, I say that I said no. <laughs> for two years so I can say yes for the rest of my life. And so it's not going to be forever. Yes, you may not pay off the amount of debt that, you know, that you have like I did in two years, but maybe it's five years, maybe it's seven years. But guess what? We're living a very long time. And so if you take seven years to pay off debt to have freedom for 70 years, what that is, what kind of trade-off? That is a perfect trade-off. I take seven years to go hard at life And then I spend 70 doing whatever I want and making my money work for me that we are living longer. Just but it takes that first step. Like you said, take the first step, do the work. And guess what? When you can say yes for the rest of your life, it makes it all worth it. Oh, my gosh. I like it. I'm ready to do it. Wow, Janae, thank you very much. I mean, this is so insightful. And I think everyone, everybody can benefit from this episode. It was truly a pleasure hearing your insights on how we can reimagine our Black relations. And guys, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe on yourblackmatters.com. Also, if you have any feedback for me, please email me at francesca at yourblackmatters.com. Janae, thank you again for the contribution we're making together. I'm really excited to be a part of it. And I say God bless you and your family. Thank you and same to you. Thank you. All our listeners, may God bless you as well. I mean, the Lord bless the United States of America. See you next time. Bye-bye.